just by way of reminder, I think it's important that we understand the context of, as Paul is writing here, it's always important to, to be reminded of the author's original intent to the people um, that were listening or reading this for the first time. Remember, the Apostle Paul um, had traveled to this area of modern-day Turkey, the region of Galatia. You can check it out in your Bible map and see exactly where it is. Which missionary journey did he do it on? Do you guys remember when he went there? His first missionary journey, he went to this region. Remember, we learned a couple weeks ago or last week, it was because of his infirmity, his sickness, that he was there to preach the gospel to them. And he shared the good news with the people there. And what happened? All these people began to get saved. Um, um, amazing work of God's Spirit was going on. Lives were being radically changed and radically transformed. In fact, Paul reminded them about that in chapter 2, that God had begun this work in the Spirit within the churches, within their, within their own hearts, within their homes, and so glorious. And do you remember when that happened in your life and the Lord began that work of the Spirit? And, and so he reminded them of that. And remember what happened after the Apostle Paul left. They were simply trusting in Jesus by grace, through faith, simply trusting him, God working in their lives. After Paul left, certain individuals had followed Paul. What, what were they called? What was, what was their name? Judaizers. That's right. These Judaizers had crept into the church, and what were they doing? They were introducing false teaching to the believers. They were, they were adding to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were taking the people away from a simple walk, a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. What were they doing? They were adding to the word of God. They were adding to the gospel. They were saying, they were telling the Gentile believers, Gentiles are non-Jews, of course. They were telling the, the, the non-Jewish believers that you need to be converted to Judaism. It's great that you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, but now you have to keep the law. You have to keep all of the rules. Here's the rule book. Follow these, including, remember what we've learned, and we're going to learn this, we're going to talk about this morning a little bit, they also said, dudes, you need to be circumcised. And I realized studying this week, I didn't explain that to you guys. And some of the kids that are here, you go ahead and ask your parents. <laughs> and, and, and Paul's reminding, again, reminding the church that um, it's, it's not grace plus law. You can't live by grace and law. He taught us that the law has a specific role in our lives, correct? The law was our schoolmaster or our teacher to what? To point us to Jesus, to show us our need for a Savior. We can't keep the law. We're rule breakers, aren't we? Are we lawbreakers, rule breakers? Again, all I have to say is two words, 55. Some of you get that later. It's cool. Little sign, white signs, black numbers. Is that nervous laughter? I mean, <laughs> Brother Dave's gone. He's not going to pull you over. <laughs> but then once we come to know Jesus personally, once we open our hearts to him, then it said what? We're no longer under the tutor. The law has done its job. Thank you, Mr. Law. Now I'm connected to Mr. Love, Jesus Christ the one who is living in me. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And we're going to talk about this in this chapter about, so what does this now look like? How does this work out practically in our lives as Christians now? And we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit as well. And so let's jump into God's Word. Chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, God's Word says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. It's a good spot maybe for an amen. I don't know. It's amenable stuff, isn't it? And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. 
you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for what? For the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So what's the instruction for us? What, what's the application now in light of the doctrine that the Apostle Paul um, has communicated previously? And he, he reminds us again of some of the things he's already taught. The application is what? We are to stand fast. What in the world does stand fast mean? What does stand fast mean? And by the way, it's in the continual tense. It means to continually be immovable. To be, to be planted, to draw a line, plant a flag. You are not moving whatsoever. No one's going to move you. And notice what it says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Jesus has made us free. Isn't that good news this morning? Jesus made us free. We did not set ourselves free by keeping the rules. We did not set ourselves free by keeping some ritual We did not set ourselves free by performance. It's simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. He said, if the Son sets you free, you now need to follow the rules. Did you say that? The Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What are we free from? We're free from, number one, the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. We're free from the penalty of sin We're free from the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. Not only that, one day we'll be set free from the presence of sin altogether when we pass through the veil into eternity. We've been saved. We've been set free from condemnation, from shame as well. Not only that, we've been set free from from patterns of living that we try to to fix ourselves. Self-help, habits. Man, we have been set free. And the Lord continues to do that too, doesn't he? He untangles stuff. Doesn't the Lord untangle stuff as you walk with him, as you get into the word of God? And he says, do not be entangled again. Don't be ensnared or held captive with a yoke of, what does it say? A yoke of bondage. So so what is a yoke? If I'm not to be entangled with a yoke, is that the orange thing that... You get rid of so you can eat healthy with the other stuff. In the, is that what we're talking about here, the egg thing? What is a yoke? It's a huge wooden harness, and you put it on two oxen together so they can plow together in unison to move forward together. And so Paul says to the church, don't be entangled or ensnared with this big giant wooden beam of what? Of bondage of enslavement to the law, of keeping rules, of keeping, of, of keeping uh, standards and so forth. In fact, do you guys ever use extension cords? Anybody ever use extension cords? Anybody have problems getting them undone after you tied them? I have people show me, here's this cool little thing you do with it and this and that, and then I take it out for the Christmas lights and it's all entangled. It's a big mess. Anybody? I hear some laughs. Are you get, am I, that connecting with anybody here? <laughs> Listen, um, If the Christian life is all about keeping rules, making standards, life will become a mess. It will become tangled up. It's frustrating, making it complicated. And we are good at making things complicated, aren't we? Tangling stuff up. And I love that God untangles stuff. He untangles messes. And again, the church is being warned about legalism. What is legalism? It speaks of those who, 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 who make rules, who set standards. They worship those standards that they come up with. And they think they're so spiritual because they're keeping, they're obeying them, but then they're looking down at others who don't keep their rules or standards. That's what legalism is. And that's what was happening in Galatia. You won't become a real Christian until your life becomes conformed, they're saying, to, 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 to what this is what it should look like. You need to follow this and follow that. And that's not true, you guys. It's a tangled mess. Life is supposed to be simple. Jesus came to do what? To set us, to set us free. Hebrews chapter 12. You guys know Hebrews chapter 12? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the... Uh, 
sin that would easily entangle or ensnare us, right? Running with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, that's a yoke. Carrying around a yoke will slow you down in your race. Each one of us here has our race. And one day, like the Apostle Paul said, my race is finished. It's over. I've kept the faith. I'm heading home. One day our race will be over. And to run the race with endurance, you've got to let go of some things. And Paul is saying to the church, these are some things, if you want to run freely, you have to lay this, this yoke aside of trying to maintain, attain righteousness and maintain righteousness. If you follow these rules, it'll keep you right with God. Is that true? Is that true? No. It's like my kids, your kids, our kids. Do they need to be righteous to stay in your home? Do they ever blow it? Do you give them the boot when they blow it? They're your child, aren't they? They don't need to earn their sonship or daughter, is daughtership a word? Do they have to earn their way into your home? They're born into our home, correct? We love them. You guys love them? How much more so God? He loves us when we're good. He loves us when we're bad. He loves us when we're reading our Bibles. He loves us when we're not reading our Bibles. He loves you when you go to church. He loves you when you don't go to church. He loves you when you've been in fellowship and when you haven't been in fellowship. Do you know that's constant? Your relationship is secure with him when you're trusting in Jesus Christ. It's so simple. And the Lord wants us to walk with him. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Trying to maintain righteousness is a heavy burden, you guys. Or trying to earn God's favor by what we do, that is bondage. He already loves you. He already, his favor is coming in your direction. That's what grace is, layer upon layer of grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. He continues to lavish his favor on you and me because we are his children. That's good news. Is that good news this morning? We don't work for it. We don't earn it. His kindness, his favor. And so I thought we were going to get past verse 1, but... Well, Paul goes on. Look at, look at the next couple of verses here. And Paul's talking about the danger of embracing the law as a way to walk with God. Paul, Paul says, look what he says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you, what does your Bible say? Nothing. Nothing. Paul's like, this is me speaking to you. I'm saying this to you. If you perform this Jewish ritual to be made right with God, then Jesus will be of no use to you. That word, nothing, means worthless. In other words, you're, you're communicating that what Jesus has done for you is worthless. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Or insignificant. If you are living, listen, if you are living under the demands of the law, then what Jesus has done for you, what he's done for you is insignificant. That's a heavy thing to consider. Because if you're embracing the law, embracing rules to follow, you're letting go of Jesus. You're saying, I don't need him. He's no longer your righteousness. We are now trying to earn God's favor, earn righteousness before him. And Paul goes on record. Look at verse 3. He says, I testify again. I'm going on record another time. Every dude who performs this religious ritual in an attempt to be right with God is now what? He is a debtor. He is on the hook. In other words, he's in debt to do what? What does your Bible say? To keep the whole law. Even if you submit to this religious ritual, you still have a problem, don't you? You still have a problem. Do you have a problem? What about the rest of the law? 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Break one rule, and what happens? You've broken how many? Broken the whole thing. James 3, right? We learned about that already. You can't pick and choose. Coming, clo coming close is not good enough. You need to be perfect. And if you, want to earn the if you want to earn the favor of God, you've got to be perfectly righteous. Is that possible to do? It's impossible. 
But Jesus did it for us, and he made it possible for us. Again, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul's reminding them, listen, in your present position, verse 4, you are, this is heavy, estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified or to be declared righteous by the law, you have fallen from grace. Listen, I'm going to confess this morning, I don't know exactly what that means, but that is not a risk that I'm willing to take, and I hope that you're not willing to take that risk either. Because the words, what they mean here is, you've become, that word estranged means to be separated from. Estranged is a, it's a relational word. It means to be disconnected from, disengaged with. Those of you who are trying to keep the law to be made right with God, Paul says, by keeping rules. In fact, he goes on to say, you've fallen from grace. You're disconnected from God's favor. Does anybody want to be disconnected from God's favor? That's, that's what happens when you try, to earn, you try to earn your way to heaven, earn righteousness, maintain righteousness. When God looks at our own righteousnesses, what does he see? You got, what? It sounded right. Filthy. Where does it say that? Isaiah, what chapter? I'm looking for it. Isaiah 64, check it out. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew of that, but it's not clean. It's not a pretty sight. But here's the good news. Isaiah 61, Isaiah was super stoked. Listen to what he says, Isaiah 61. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Literally, the garments of Yeshua or Jesus. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isn't that good news? Was it keeping rules that got you your robe? Was it by keeping rules that got you your robe? Was it your performance? Church membership? Baptism? We could just go down the line. Confirmation? First communion? None of that. None of that got you a robe. It's simply your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That takes all the pressure off of us, guys. It's that simple. And so Paul says, look at in verse 5, for we as believers through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, what? Patiently, expectantly look for the hope of righteousness by faith. That day when our faith becomes sight, guys. It's interesting. Yesterday... Every Saturday this month, we have uh, memorial services. And I did one yesterday. It's so awesome. The next two Saturdays, um, precious, precious sisters in the Lord. It makes it really easy to, to do that kind of a service when they love Jesus, when they served him, when they poured out their life for the Lord. Michael Kelly's mom, I, I was so honored and privileged to be able to get up here and share. And then to hear the testimony about her life, how she would lead people to the Lord, even some, some Muslim dude, right, Michael? Led some Muslim dude to the Lord. It's like, wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that testimony. Thank you for encouraging me, Lord, through her life. And there's still fruit now being born through her life, through Patty's life. But they've, listen, they've passed through the veil, stepped into eternity, stepped right there into where? Into the throne room where Jesus does what? What does the Bible tell us? He pres crown. How cool is that? Well done, good and faithful servant. Presented to who? To the Father with exceeding joy. How glorious is that going to be that day when we enter into his presence? I mean, think about your best day you've ever had. Anybody have a really good day? Really, like, awesome? How about a day that's infinitely and eternally way better, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on? New, new and exciting and glorious facets of God's grace coming at us, 
every day. How awesome is that going to be? To be with our Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death. When the hope of righteousness, that's what we're waiting for. Patiently, expectantly. Oh, we got our robes positionally. But then when we step again into heaven, it becomes a reality. And heaven is not just our destination. It should be our motivation. It's like, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. Our mind should be set on things above, storing our treasure. Didn't Jesus say something about storing our treasures in heaven? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And please notice it says, eagerly wait. We're waiting, not working for righteousness. All the pressure is off because Jesus paid it all. We trust God. Look at it. faith, hope, and love, the, 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 the building blocks of our lives, of the church, our homes. Paul mentions that again here, faith, hope, and love. We trust God. Do you trust what God says in his word? Do you guys trust what God says in his word? He's faithful. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hope is the absolute expectation of good. Why? Because God said it. He promised it. Let God be true and every man a liar. He promises this to us. With God, and listen, this morning with God, there's always hope. Do you know that? I had someone tell me, oh, this is a hopeless situation. I'm like, dude, no way. <laughs> no chance. Not with God. Give God room to work. Watch what he'll do. But not only that, especially when we pass from this life into the next, there's hope. Because he who has the Son has life. And that's a promise for you and I. For in Christ Jesus, look at verse 6, in our Lord and Savior, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Performing this religious ritual or not performing it amounts to nothing at all. Again, no rituals bring us into right standing with God. No rituals make us righteous before Him. Nothing can, nothing can earn His favor and nothing can bring you and I closer to him. Do you know that this, this morning? Your relationship with God, it, it's, there's, there's no distance. How close is your relationship with him? Remember what we learned last week? Where's the Lord living? Chapter 4, verse 6, right? Because of our trust in Jesus Christ, because you are sons and daughters, of course, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your... How close is that? Is that a pretty close relationship with God? Where does he come? He says, I want to come to the closest possible place I can is to live in your heart. There's no distance. There's no separation. Why? Because you kept the rules? Because you trusted in him. And as we eagerly await, what do we do? So what do we do is we're eagerly awaiting him. Look what it says. But faith working through, what does your Bible say? So what do we do while we're awaiting? We love. Is it, didn't Jesus say something about it? That would be our identifying mark. Did he say something like that as Christians? Where, where do you say that at? John what? John 13. In fact, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus gives authorization. Check this out. Jesus gives authorization for the entire world to look at our lives and to judge us by our fruit. Listen to what he says. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know, how much is all? What about in the Greek? All is all, and that's all that all means, right? All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is to be our identifying mark as Christians, gang is our love for one another, that sacrificial, selfless love for each other, you guys. By this we know love. 
1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, look at verse 7. Let's keep rolling. Verse 7, Paul writes, he goes on, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. So Paul, now, he, he uses some different imagery here. We'll talk about that in just a minute. That last verse. I mean, like, what? I know. It's heavy. So Paul goes from using, like, a ranch illustration with the big old yoke, and now he uses a sports illustration of running. And, and Paul did that, didn't he? In the Bible? Did Paul use sports illustrations? Why do you think he used those? Because he went to what? Sporting events, correct? I like that because I like sports too. Not just Olymp Olympic running games, but he said in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about MMA. It wasn't really called that, but he's talking about throwing punches. I don't think, this is my own personal opinion, I don't think Paul was going to these events going, I hope he rips his head off. Come on. Come on, Jim Bob, you can do it. I don't think he was doing that. I think he was saying, oh, you know what? That reminds me of our walk with the Lord. And he would use that to help people connect the dots spiritually, that it might help them to understand. That running illustration is used. Our race, Paul uses that with some serious frequency. And he's saying it here. He's saying, listen, you ran well. You were doing good. You started your race. You were going good. You were moving forward in a healthy way. By the way, it doesn't matter how you start. It's how you finish. We need, every one of us here needs to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Otherwise, I think we failed. And that's just my own personal opinion. Is to hear those words from our king when we step again through the veil. And so Paul's like, you were running good. Who hindered you? Literally, who cut into your lane and moved you out? What, who impeded you? Who became an obstacle in your life? From what? Look what it says. From to keep you from doing what is right, obeying the truth. He says in the next verse, it wasn't Jesus, the one who calls you. Who has kept you from listening to and complying with the truth of God's word, doing God's word? You were doing well, and then you listened to this dude. Things were so simple. Things were so uncomplicated. Things were so untangled. And then these guys are telling you everything you're doing wrong. You've got to do this. You're doing this wrong, and you're doing that wrong. Here's what's lacking in your life. You ever had someone do that to you? You guys ever had someone do that to you? It's like, you're not reading your Bible enough, friend. You, you need to get up a little earlier. You need to have some blanket victory, boy. You need to have victory over those blankets. You're sleeping in too much. You ever had someone do that to you? It's like, how do you know what my, life, my spiritual life is like? We'll talk about that in just a minute. And so the Galatians were doing what? They were ditching Jesus to pursue false and empty teachings of man. Legalism, in this case. And Paul says, look what he says in verse 8. This persuasion... It's such an interesting word in Greek. It means treacherous, deceptive, carnal or fleshly, coaxing, coercion, enticement, or convincing. This is, this is like a super important point I'm going to make here, guys. Because it's ha it happens today in the church. Treacherous, deceptive, carnal, coaxing, coercion, enticement, or convincing. It doesn't come from Jesus. Listen, God is not going to confuse you. God is not the author 
of confusion. He is not going to send you mixed messages. What is false does not come from God. It comes from the devil. That's why I encourage us, be sharp in the word. That's why we get into the word of God every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, men's study, women's study. And listen, here's the deal. Our Christian culture has become so distracted. Sadly, notoriously weak in doctrine. Can I I repeat that? Our Christian culture has become so distracted and notoriously weak in doctrine. You guys are an exception. Y'all are an exception. All y'all. But it's not, listen, it is not popular to teach the entire counsel of God's word. Because we hit some things that are offensive, don't we? Don't we hit some things? Don't you guys get offended? Every, don't you guys get convicted every once in a while here? If you're not, go somewhere else. Because if you're not getting convicted ever, there's a problem. Someone's tickling your ears. Because what does the culture say? What do the, the Christian culture influencers say? You got to tell stories. Got to have illustrations. Got to be funny. You know what? Stories of men... Man's stories will not save souls. Man's stories will not nourish your soul. Those of us who are born again, what, are, what we are thirsting for and hungering for is the Word of God. And it's the Lord who nourishes us. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd, what? He loves, cherishes, and nourishes us. With what? With Mad Magazine? The Word of God. This is, what we, this is what you're hungering and thirsting for. Our flesh hungers and thirsts for junk, doesn't it? But your spirit is hungering and thirsting for this. And listen, there are plenty of churches out there that will tickle your ears, tickle your funny bone, give you lots of good stories, and then sprinkle a little Bible dust. If that's what you're looking for in a church, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> Because those of you who have been here for any amount of time, we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book after book. Why? So that we have a proper diet. Don't we always get it in the right portion too? Do we get in the right portions? We do, don't we? I like what it says here. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Literally the one who calls you by name. Do you know that the Lord knows your name this morning? That's just a real simple thing, but you know, he knows your name. He knew Zacchaeus' name. You guys remember, Zac- you guys remember Zacchaeus? Remember Zach? You guys? Do you guys remember Zacchaeus? Let me, let's just kind of do a little, little brush up. Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was. He climbed up in the, for the Lord he wanted to. And as the Savior passed that way in the tree and said, Jim Bob, no, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? I'm going to your house today. And think about, here's Jesus, he's cruising through, right, with a whole pack of people. And Zacchaeus, little dude, right, vertically challenged, he runs around, does like a button hook around, climbs up this tree and hoping that no one sees him. I just want to get a look at Jesus. Like some people that come into church. Hope oh, nobody sees me. I'm just going to come in. I'm going to sneak out. The Lord sees you. He knows your name. He calls you. Literally, it's calling you. He's calling you to him. Isn't that beautiful? He's calling you to him to talk to you. Like we learned Wednesday night to speak words of peace to your heart. He knows you by name. He loves you. And there's Zacchaeus. He's thinking, there's no way anybody's going to see me up here. I got my camo on. And then all of a sudden, the parade stops. And what does Jesus do? Zacchaeus, get down. Let's go. I'm going to your house right now. Let's go. And he was stoked, wasn't he? Like a little guy just cruising down the tree. But think about that. Would he ever talk to me? I've jacked up my life. He's a tax collector, the chief tax collector, mob boss. 
Would he ever want to spend time with me? It dishonored him. That's the grace of God, you guys. And he knows you. He knows your name. Not only that, he knows you intimately. Why? He, David said, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He's made you wonderfully, fearfully. You're special to him. I mean, isn't that amazing that he would even talk to us? He calls us. And tomorrow he'll be calling you to spend time with him. Like Mary, just chilling out at the feet of Jesus. You could do that anywhere. It's totally portable. Doesn't mean you need to get like Indian style and chill out on your rug, in your car, in your cubicle, wherever you're at. You can be right at the feet of Jesus. And so he's calling us. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, let's bring it back to context, what they're saying, these false teachers, is not consistent with what Jesus is saying and what God is communicating in his word. And then Paul moves from the, from the Olympic Games to where, verse 9, to the kitchen. Anybody break, bake bread here? Anybody bake bread? Yeah? What if you don't use leaven? What happens? You get saltines, right? But you put that little, just a pinch of yeast in, and what happens? It, a pinch of leaven, and it permeates and expands, correct? Is that how it works out? Does it sound like that too? No? So what's Paul saying here? Listen, leaven in Scripture, is it ever used for good, anything good in Scripture? No, it's always used for eat, for sin, or an evil influence. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the... Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod. Beware of the Pharisees, the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, he said. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians as well. It's used for no good. And so what is he saying here? What's Paul saying in these verses? He's saying a little bit of deceptive, carnal enticement, a, a little bit of legalism. What's going to happen? It's going to have a corrupting influence. It'll not only corrupt you individually and permeate your life, but it'll do that in the church. Just like a pinch of leaven does to bread, it'll continue to grow and to expand. It's dangerous. And if you're going to accommodate falsehood in your life, it's going to keep permeating your life. That's why it's so vital, crucial that we're in the Word and Allowing the word to search us. And Paul says, I have faith in you. Verse 10. Isn't it great when someone says that to you? I believe in you. And then he qualifies it with what? In the Lord. I have confidence in you. In the Lord. You will have no other mind. In other words, you will come to the right conclusion. You will be in agreement that there's only one way to be right with God. And that's by trusting in Jesus Christ. Not by our fleshly efforts. Anyone, and the point being, anyone teaching otherwise is introducing something dangerous to the body of Christ, and it must be purged. It must be gotten rid of. And then, so Paul gives an encouraging word to the church here. And what's he saying? I believe that God's going to do something good. Do you believe that this morning in your life, in your situation? Paul's saying, I believe God is going to do something good here because I trust God. Do you, listen this morning, do you trust God as he's working in people? Let me, let me back up. Is God working in us? He is, isn't he? It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 1, who's begun a good work in you? Jesus has, is he going to complete the work? Is that what the book says? Is that a promise? Is that good news? It is, isn't it? Does God work in each one of us differently? Is God's timing perfect? It is. Are you going to fix people or are you going to let God work in them? I didn't hear an answer to that one yet. <laughs> Because we try to fix people, don't we? Try to fix ourselves. Good luck with that. Do you strengthen your flesh? Or it could be a work of the Spirit. 
Good luck trying to fix someone else. You guys ever try to fix someone? All the time. Thank you. Some, an honest person in church. Thank you. We try to. And sometimes we do it with, the, with our anger, don't we? Sometimes we do it with our anger. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes it's manipulative. If we believe God is working all things together for good, I don't need to scheme and manipulate. I can say, Lord, you're going to do a good work. I trust you. Like Paul's saying to the church here, I trust, I have confidence in you, in the Lord. He's going to do something great in your lives. So Paul encourages them, but then he also warns. Can you imagine those false teachers hearing this? But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. They're going to be the recipient of God's judgment. The person who is literally stirring you up, bringing agitation, disturbing your peace. And by the way, that's what legalism does. It disturbs your peace. Because you're always trying to measure up to standards or you're, or, or you're trying to, to watch others and try to keep up to their standards as well. Jesus, what did Jesus say about those that would cause a little one to stumble? He gets all gangster, doesn't he? <laughs> you cause a little one to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and be thrown in the ocean with sea. That's heavy. There's probably some teachers that need to hear that in the colleges, <laughs> at least in my daughter's college. I've been saying, honey, I need to go talk to that professor. No, dad, don't do that. <laughs> the president. That's heavy. Can you imagine? The other option is making them T-shirts that say that, that they wear. Something to think about. And Paul says, listen, this is me speaking, family. He says in verse 11, if I'm still preaching this ritual to be right with God, then why am I still suffering persecution? That tells us a couple things. He used to preach circumcision, and now he's not, and he's being persecuted by the legalists. Why was he persecuted? Well, it tells us, and the answer is right in the text. Look what it says. Because the cross is offensive, isn't it? The cross says what? What does the cross say? You can't get to heaven on your own works, on your own efforts. The cross says you can't make yourself right with God. The cross says you and I are dirty, filthy sinners in need of his forgiveness and his cleansing and none other. The cross says you're a sinner and the only way you can be forgiven and made right with God is by trusting in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Listen, the cross not only declares the love of God, which isn't that glorious? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. We love that. The cross speaks of God's love. God is love, but he's also light, too. And the core issue is that the Son had to go to the cross to rescue us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's every single, that's all he has to work with. We deserve wrath, punishment, eternity in hell, condemnation. Because we, listen, because we sinned against the holy God. We've broken his law. And God can't wink at sin and just dust it under the table. And so what happened? God sent his son to, to die for us. To take the penalty, to take the punishment that, he, that we deserved, he took it for us. So that he could be both the just and the justifier of the unrighteous. There's that, there's that sweet balance because Jesus came and gave his life for us. And then verse 12, look what he says. My desire is that those who trouble you, who are unsettling you, who are ripping you off of peace, who've moved you away from home is the idea also. What's Paul wish for them? That they would cut themselves off. You know what that means? That they would go the distance and make themselves eunuchs. Some of you, 
in order that they would not reproduce more disciples after themselves. So it's kind of like a play on words. Somebody will get that later. It's okay. And then let's finish up. We've got a couple minutes to finish the last couple verses here. Look what it says. We've got three verses. Let's do it. For you, brethren, have been called to... What have we been called to? Liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but what? Through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Family, he says, you've been called forth, called by name to what? To freedom, to liberty. Isn't that good news? Who's, who's made us free? Jesus. And Paul, listen, this is so crucial. Don't miss this. We're almost done. Two verses. You're hanging in there. Good job. Way to go. Enduring sound doctrine this morning. Paul's protected. Do we need to be protected? Is there dangers out there? There's dangers in here too, isn't there? Paul, listen, Paul is protecting us from becoming a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Pharisees did what? They added to what? The Word of God. They added to the Word of God. The Sadducees did what? They took away from the Word of God. And you know what happened when they took away from the Word of God? They lived licentious lives. What does licentious mean? It means, you know what? We're right with God, so now we can live any way we want. And that is a teaching today, too, by the way. Saved by the blood, you can go live in the mud. You're elect, you're chosen, which the Bible does teach. The Bible does teach we're chosen, but we also have to choose. How does that work out, Pastor? I have no clue. Don't you have a problem with that? I have zero problem with that. That's what God says. Do I understand everything? Do I understand everything in here? I don't. Do you? That doesn't keep me from loving my Jesus. I don't understand everything about Tanya. I don't know how her synapses work and connect up here or how her pancreas works, but I still love her with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm, it's a, isn't it a lifetime of opening up that treasure chest and learning? Let's get back to the text. Come on. So what was going on? He says, you've been called to freedom, but don't use your freedom for what? As an opportunity, as a, as a, a base of operations is what it literally means, or a starting point or a launching point to indulge your flesh, to, to live a purely carnal, self-absorbed life. Well, then how should I use my freedom? Look what it says. But through love, with the divine love you received. Have we received God's divine love? He's shed it abroad into our hearts. That love is in you. What do we do? Become a servant. Serve one another. What does a servant do? Lives to make other people's lives better. You take that love, that freedom, all that you've received, and start serving others for all, you want to keep the law? Or you really want to keep the law? Awesome. For all the law is what? Fulfilled in one word. What's the one word? You shall love your neighbor how? So how much do you love yourself? doesn't say you need to learn to love yourself, by the way. That is a, that is a false teaching. That's junk. I heard somebody on the radio the other day say that. You need to learn to love yourself. No, you don't. You love yourself. Correct? That's our problem. So think about how much do you love yourself? Do you care for yourself? Do you guys care for yourselves? Are you kind? Are you thoughtful to yourself? Yeah? Do you bathe? Do you take care of your body? 
How about this body? Do you feed yourself when you're hungry? Do you wake up and say, I hate myself and bash your toe with a hammer? You don't do that, do you? We, we love her. That, that's what he's saying here. We're to love one another just as we love ourselves. And so Paul had warned them about legalism and now license or licentiousness. Well, pastor, I don't know how to love, really. For, you can look at this later, 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, you don't need anyone to teach you how to love. The Holy Spirit is already teaching you. The question is, are you willing to be taught? Are you listening? Does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Does he lead us and guide us in all truth? The Holy Spirit's teaching you how to love. Are you open? Are you, are you teachable? Are you open to his leading? He'll show you how to love your spouse, your kids, the people in church. That's to be our identifying mark as Christians. The one, the one thing, Jesus didn't say, you'll know my disciples by their slick preaching, their building, fish on the back of their car. Right? He didn't say that, did he? By our love. And he said, listen, if you are chewing on each other and ripping each other apart like animals, by your unloving words, your criti- critical words, your gossip, backbiting, your selfish behavior. He says, look out. Beware. You may totally destroy each other. And here's the thing. Listen, guys, selfish people will eventually be consumed by one another. That's the warning. Well, pastor, don't leave us on a negative note. Can you just, can you leave us on a good note? I can. You ready? Check it out. Loving servanthood keeps us from destroying one another. You guys got that? Because the greatest servant that ever lived, you know where he's living? In our hearts. And he will help us to do that. Amen? Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.